I'm so excited. This morning, we're continuing our Advent series um, as we lead up to Christmas called Joy to the World. And like Kayla said, last week, we got to hear from our lead pastor, Paul Andrew, um, who just shared with us about joy. And one of the things I love that he said was that joy is different from happiness. Happiness is something that's fleeting, but joy is this kind of steadfast thing that when we experience it, it can sustain us. And I love that. And um, as we continue our journey this morning, our Advent series is built around uh, the, the song that many of us know around Christmas time called Joy to the World, where each week we kind of want to unpack a different line of that song. And it's a familiar Christmas song for many of us. And the line behind all the joy expressed in the song could really come down to this one awe-inspiring truth that says the Lord is come. The Lord is come. And if you're taking notes this morning, the title of this message is The Lord is Come. The reason behind Christmas had nothing to do with the mad dashes that we make to, um, we don't really have malls here, um, to the stores, whether it's Target, because we have an amazing Target here in Brooklyn that is like a super Target. It's incredible. We live like across the street from it. And, um, but whether you're making a mad dash to the Target or to whatever it is that you're purchasing, um, Christmas isn't about that. It's not about all of the holiday parties that we attend. Anybody got like three or four different things that they're trying to get through over the next couple of weeks? Anybody forget them? And you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that that was happening today. That's been me like the last two weeks. Um, or even all the decorating or the baking. Now, I don't do any of the baking. My wife does. And that's a good thing and, uh, because I'm a terrible cook, but I love to eat. But Christmas is really not about any of that stuff at all. We celebrate Christmas because of that line, the truth in that line, the Lord is come. Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born, and his arrival changed everything. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not right now, it changed everything for you, and it can change everything, change everything for me, and it can change everything for you. It changed everything for humanity. Jesus' arrival changed everything because he is the hope of the world. And in fact, Advent, this season that we're celebrating leading up to Christmas, simply means arrival. We're celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the greatest gift that could ever be given to all of humanity. But Jesus didn't arrive without a wait. In fact, from the last prophecies of the Old Testament to the arrival of Jesus in the New Testament, that time is about 400 years. 400 years of silence as God's people waited for the Messiah, someone to rescue them and bring them salvation from oppression and brokenness to arrive. And I don't know about you, but when I hear about 400 years, 400 years of silence is a long time. But the people were holding on to the promise through the prophecy that we see given by the prophet Isaiah. And we find it in Isaiah chapter 9, and I, I want to read verse 2, and then I'm going to jump down and, and read verses 6 through 7. But this is what it says. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. 
Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the people of Israel, they they found themselves really in a period of war and division. The nation of Israel has long been divided into two kind of regions, the north and the south, Israel and Judah. And they'd weather wars against each other and the surrounding nation for a few hundred years. But neither kingdom can stand through the storms to come. The Assyrians are rising in power and the Babylonians ultimately will overthrow them in time. And the people hadn't remained faithful to their God. And so their security as a nation cannot last. The north will fall soon. The south will fall later. But God raises up the prophet Isaiah to tell the people that in spite of all of this that you see, in spite of the last hundred years of utter chaos, division, and war, there is hope. There is hope. And it's because of this hopeful arrival that Isaiah speaks about when he declares in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep deep darkness, a light has dawned is that these people could wait with great expectancy. And, and hope is different than being optimistic. Um, my wife will tell you I'm a very optimistic person. For me, the, uh, the glass is always overflowing. That's, that's just how I see it. And, um, and so my wife grounds me a lot in that because I have to realize that not every person is like that. But I think hope is a little bit different than that. And I love what Henry Nouwen says in in trying to kind of get us to understand the difference between optimism and hope. And this is what he says. He says, optimism and hope are radically different attitudes. Optimism is the expectation that things, the weather, human relationship, the economy, the political situation, and so on, will get better. Hope is trust that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a new way that leads us to true freedom. So we, we see this thing where optimism is, 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 is us having an expectation that maybe this thing will get a little bit better, whereas hope is so, not so much dependent on us, but what ultimately God wants and what God will do. And I love that. And, and, and here's the thing. One of my favorite parts about Christmas is receiving gifts. Anybody like to receive gifts? Okay, how does everyone not raise their hand? That's what I want to know. Everybody loves receiving gifts, right? I love, 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 love receiving gifts. And, um, and, and my wife will tell you, I have a hard time waiting. Um, whether it's a birthday gift, whether it's a Christmas gift, I'm terrible at waiting. I'm like, can you just let me open it? Like, I'm going to get it eventually. Why is, might as well just open it, okay? And, uh, and my wife knows that I, I love um, I, I love fashion. I like clothes. So for me, it's like if I know that she got me like a shirt, it's like I, I just want to wear it. Just let me open it and wear it. What good is it if it just sits there? So I'm terrible at waiting. And so um, I remember being four years old, and the only thing I wanted for Christmas was the Barney dinosaur. <laughs> this thing was like amazing. I'm sorry, but as a kid, I was really into Barney. 
I thought Barney was like this really cool dinosaur because it talked and it danced and it singed. And he just was, he just, you just want to be hugged by Barney because he just, you know, just, yeah, I was into Barney, okay? And I wanted this Barney dinosaur so bad. So the whole year, I'm telling my mom, Ma, I just want the Barney. If you don't, you don't have to get me anything else but the Barney dinosaur. And you have to get the one that when you push its, his hand, it sings the song, I love you, you love me. I don't know the rest of it. Awesome, awesome. And, um, and so there's, there's about, uh, I think we're coming up right after Thanksgiving, and, um, and I know that my parents had gone shopping. I know that they had gone. So I knew that there was a Barney somewhere in our house, okay? And, and you got you to gotta understand that for me, those 30 or so days that we had until Christmas, that felt like 400 years as a four-year-old. And, um, but I trusted my parents, and I trusted and believed in the word that they told me, where they said, yeah, if you're good, and I was great. Four years old, I, that, was, that was my year, guys. I think I peaked as a kid and being a good kid, I peaked at four. And, um, but then God came in later, guys, and it was great. Uh, but I was a great kid. And, and they said, as long as you're good, we will get the Barney. So I'm taking my parents at their word. I'm putting my hope in their word. I'm trusting their word that as long as I do my part, I'm going to see that Barney on Christmas Day. And, I, and so I would count down the days until Christmas with great expectancy, with this kind of hope that my parents would fulfill their promise. And we kind of see this. This is what's happening in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah declares the word of the Lord. He's reminding the people of Israel. He's prophesying to them. And so the people hear the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, and it gives them hope. It doesn't give them optimism. It gives them hope that ultimately God will do what he said he will do. And that hope allows them to change the way that they wait in those 400 years of silence. And maybe you find yourself experiencing a waiting or a longing currently in this season, whether it's you're waiting for uh, uh, your career to, to change and, and you're waiting for, you're longing for a promotion at your job, or maybe you're, you find yourself waiting for, um, to, to, to meet your significant other, your husband or your wife. Um, whatever it is, maybe it's, it's you're waiting to, uh, you, you know, you're married and you're waiting to, to get pregnant. And you, you're in this season of longing. You're in this season of longing. And I, I, can I just encourage you that, that how you wait matters. That how you wait is significant. I would even make the, the, the I would even encourage you with that that how you wait ultimately will determine what you receive in the waiting. So often we become like a, I just want to get to this destination. 
and, and without realizing that, that what if there's things that we need along the way, but if we aren't waiting right, when we get here, we won't even know what to do with this. And so I, I want to encourage us that, that the, how we wait is significant. It's, it's the reason I love the song that we were singing, waiting here for you with my hands lifted high in praise. And I got to believe that after Isaiah is encouraging and declaring to the people what he says in Isaiah chapter 9, that when they hear that, and if they put their faith in that, and if they trust that, if they find their hope in that, then that's their posture. And so can I ask you in your season that you find yourself in of waiting and longing for something, what is your posture? Is it still being able to praise God? God, I, I, I know I'm in this season where I'm waiting and I'm longing to see this happen in my life, but I want to trust you. I'm going to choose to trust you. And so no matter what I may face, no matter how long it may be, I'm going to still worship you. I'm going to lift my hands because I know that you are worthy because you always come through on your promise and that even what Isaiah declared so long ago, you came through because Jesus arrived. Our wonderful counselor arrived. Our mighty God arrived. Our savior arrived and it changed everything. But is that your posture in your waiting? I love this quote from Louis Giglio, who's the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, he says this, Christmas is a story of longing fulfilled. That's why it gives us a reason to celebrate the goodness and nearness of God in the midst of our waiting seasons. As we struggle with our own sense of silence and as we strain to see God at work in our convoluted lives, Christmas urges us on by reminding us that God will come through on his promises. The idea of waiting expectantly and filled with faith because of the hope we have in Jesus' arrival is all throughout the song that we, we sang before the message. And can I tell you this morning that no matter where you find yourself, you can be hopeful and you can change the way that you wait because of this line, the Lord is come. Our wonderful counselor is come. Our mighty God is come. Our everlasting father is come. Our prince of peace is come. Our savior is come. Jesus is come. Oh, I love that. And so are we waiting fully surrendered to Jesus and still giving him all of our praise and all of our worship? Or do we find ourselves more worried been full of worship. And with the time that I have left this morning, I just want to give us three reasons, three more reasons why we can wait expectantly and wait full of faith in whatever season we find ourselves in. And the first reason is this, that God works while we wait. Anybody grateful for that this morning, that God works while we wait? Isaiah prophesied to the people of Israel because he knew that even in the 400 years of silence and even in their longing and waiting for the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, Isaiah knew that God was working. And Isaiah knew this to be true because what we know about Isaiah is he had experienced the same thing that these people were experiencing. 
Isaiah had, had experienced exile in the northern kingdom during his lifetime, and he is aware of the implications of exile. And so God speaks through Isaiah to remind the people that the same God who delivered Jerusalem before can deliver you from Babylon. But I have to believe that because of Isaiah's experience, he understood that God works while we wait. But we also see this in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And this is after Jesus' birth. He was circumcised and presented to the temple, which was a Jewish custom. And when a man named Simeon saw Jesus, he prophetically spoke. And this is what he says. He says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation. And here's where, here's where I want you to focus on. Verse 31, it says, Which you have prepared... For all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. God was not ignoring the needs of humanity or wasting time before Jesus' arrival. He was doing what in verse 31? He was preparing. The word tells us that He was preparing, He was working, and we can wait expectantly because God works while we wait. I think about uh, when I was longing for that Barney. Even in that waiting, that whole year, up until we hit Thanksgiving, I knew my parents went out and bought it, they were working, like literally working to get the money to actually purchase the Barney. And so if my parents are willing to put in the work to get me a gift, how much more is our Father in heaven willing to do some work while we wait? God is working while you wait. And even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when it doesn't seem like he's even close, can I just tell you that he is working on your behalf? Sometimes we don't see or realize that he's working because he's not working the way that we want him to work. But if we're honest with ourselves, that's on us. And we have to change our perspective to say, God, whatever it is that you're going to do in this season, I want to allow you to do it. And if that was our perspective, if that was our posture, we would see him working, we would feel him working, and we could put our trust and faith in the fact that, in the truth, that God is working while we wait. The second reason we can wait expectantly is because we don't miss out waiting on God. Some of us have a hard time waiting because we're afraid we're going to miss out. Anybody got FOMO? I'm an introvert, so I don't. I'm like seeing people out, and I'm like, go ahead. Be there. I'm so happy at home. This is amazing. I don't have to put on clothes. I can be in like sweatpants all day. And uh, I don't have FOMO, but I, I, I know people who do, and um, I'm, I'm glad I don't. Um, but, but I wonder if we have FOMO when it comes to, it's, it's easy to have FOMO when it comes to a party or to uh, see someone at a game, like, you know, I had a couple friends who were at the SEC championship game um, yesterday, and uh, I'm so glad I was not there because Georgia got destroyed. Um, who was cheering? What? Why? Why? Why are you cheering? 
Um, I don't know. Uh, y'all must be from Louisiana, which I don't know why. why I don't, okay, that, I guess that's something to cheer about. Um, uh, and uh, I'm still a little hurt, guys, okay? Um, but it's, it's easy to have FOMO when it comes to something like that. But I wonder how many of us don't realize that we have FOMO when it comes to our life and what God wants to do in our life that we, we have this fear of missing out. And, and there's a lot of factors that play into that, that um, you know, when, as you start to get older, sometimes there's these pressures because of what society says has to happen at this age, that you start to get worried that you're missing out on something. But can I tell you that God's time is always the best and right time for you? That what if, it's, it's so interesting to me. I used to be a worship leader, and, and I love worship. I love singing. I think it's powerful. And, um, and I, I grew up, and I got saved at a Pentecostal church where service was like three hours. And um, it wasn't in English, so I didn't understand what was happening. I just knew God was there, so I was like, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. And I got saved at a Korean church that was very Pentecostal. Service was three hours. And um, then I started leading worship for our youth group, and we would go through like, we'd go through like 15 songs, y'all. Y'all think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Every, every, every night was a worship night. And, um, and then I came on staff after I graduated from college. I came on staff at a church in Atlanta called North Point, and, um, which is an amazing place, but it was like the polar opposite. Whereas like, I, I remember getting up to lead worship for the first service that I was on there, and um, the guy looked at me, the production guy was like, hey, so I'm going to put 15 minutes on the uh, timer. I was like, what's a timer? <laughs> and, uh, and this is what he said. I'm not kidding. He said this. He said, he said, when that timer hits zero, whether you're done or not, that mic will be muted. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And, um, and yes, that's true. That happened. It, they do mute the mic. But uh, there was this interesting kind of like, you know, conundrum because I came from this, I got saved in this kind of experience. And then I was working at a church that just had a little bit of different of a philosophy. But one of the things that one of the guys, uh, you know, in this realm challenged me with, this is what he said. And I'll never forget it. Cause I was always like, man, I need like three, four songs for Holy Spirit comes and just ruins the room. <laughs> and he said, he said, since how do you know God's going to be late? He said, did God tell you what time he was going to arrive? And I said, oh. And he said, I just, he's like, I just think it's funny. I just think it's funny with a lot of worship leaders. They just think that the Holy Spirit's always late. Like we are somehow in control of what God wants to do. And, and I say that to translate it to our life. Because I think a lot of times with our life, that's how we operate. Of like, God, give me just three more years here. But what if that's not what he has for you? What if his timing was like, I want to do it now? You know, that's what I'm believing for with my wife and us having Devonta. <laughs> She's like, no, it's going to happen on this time. I'm like, no, but it's going to happen on God's time. Because God is working while I wait. And, uh, and, you know, we're not going to miss out on God's time. Can I just encourage you with that? That whatever you're waiting for, whatever you're longing for, that what if you're right where God wants you to be, and he's ultimately just trying to prepare you? 
I love this. If we're truly waiting on God, then we won't miss anything. When we are walking with God and waiting on God, we always will arrive on time. I think some of us actually miss out on all that God has for us because we don't wait on him. And then we get there where we want it to be, and we're like, why isn't this what I thought it would be? And God's saying, because I'm still back here. And we try to make things happen on our own time rather than waiting on God for his time, which is really all the best, because God knows what's best for us. In fact, you know, that year I wanted the Barney for Christmas. You know, again, it was 400 years. That 30 days felt like 400 years of silence because my parents wouldn't talk to me. And because uh, I was just nagging them and they wouldn't talk to me. Every, uh, the only thing I said to them, they'd be like, hey, what do you want to eat? Barney, where is he? <laughs> oh, what time, what time are you, uh, you want to play with this? Barney, where's Barney? <laughs> and, uh, and so um, I remember it was probably, we had about probably 10 days left until Christmas. So now there's about 100 years left. And, um, and y'all, I don't know what got in me. I just, you know, I just was determined. So anytime my parents would go to work, you know, our, our nanny was great, but she just, you know, she'd turn on TV, she'd be watching them stories, them soap operas, Days of Our Lives, and all, that, all my children. And um, the only reason I know those things is because my nanny watched them. And, uh, and uh, so she would be, as soon as she would turn on the soap operas, she was stuck for like two hours, two and a half hours. I knew she wasn't going to move. So what I decided to do is I start, so I'm going to go look around the apartment. I'm going to find this Barney doll because I know it's in here. First two days, I didn't find it. Didn't have any luck. That third day, though, on the third day, come on. On that third day, I found him. I found Barney. He was in my parents' shoe closet, buried under, behind boxes of shoes. I pulled him out. Took him out of the box. Oh, no, don't worry about that. I got that covered. <laughs> Took him out of the box, and I just held him. I hit his hand. He was singing to me. All was right in the world. I let him sing that song like three times, and then I put him back in the box. I, I like, you know, put, make sure it looked like nobody touched it, then I put it back, and I would do that every day. <laughs> My parents would go to work. My nanny would turn on them stories. I go, oh, Barney time! I go to the closet, move all the shoes. I get Barney, hold him. Oh, Barney, it's so good, man. But me being a four-year-old kid, eventually, I left behind some evidence. And uh, I remember my dad called me into the bedroom, and he just pointed at the shoe closet. And I knew I was guilty. So I was like, yeah, those are shoes. Shoes. I was like, shoes, no. No shoes, shoes, no. And he looked and he said, you've been in the shoe closet? I said, no, no, no shoes, no shoes. And then my mom came in. My mom's completely different. My dad was like reasonable. My mom came in in a rage. And she was like, what are you doing? She came in an utter rage, yelling, and, um, and ultimately what happened is um, because I tried to do things on my time, I actually didn't get to have the Barney doll um, for Christmas. They said I had to wait a whole year. And um, I know, man, my parents, man, you telling me 
gosh. And, uh, and so Christmas, I didn't have Barney. And uh, instead, I, you know, I had to wait a whole year. But, you know, as a kid, you know, come, come February, Barney's out the door anyway. I was like, I don't want him anyways. <laughs> come on, give me something else. Give me Clifford. I'm on Clifford now. <laughs> I'm on Clifford the Big Red Dog. I see him at the book fair in my elementary school. Well, that's what I want now. So you can have Barney. And maybe it's not as silly as a Barney dinosaur, but I wonder where in our lives we're trying to make things happen in our time, where we're rummaging through our shoe closet, or really we're rummaging through God's shoe closet, trying to be God instead of be loved by God and serve God. I wonder where we're allowing fear to dictate how we wait. I wonder where we're allowing fear to dictate how we see God and trust God and put our faith in God. Because here is the truth that we can wait expectantly in every season, every circumstance, because we will never miss out when we wait on God. We just never will. One of my mentors named Miles, who is, uh, he's one of the reasons why I'm here today. I, I firmly believe that. The stuff that he invested in my life, I, I will never be able to repay him. And, um, and he's seeing me at my lowest of lows. He's seeing my highest of highs. And, um, and, and one of the things he said to me, I was coming out of a residency program at a church and I was uh, putting myself out there going on these interviews and I was bombing these interviews. Like, like one church called him and said, hey, um, we see the resume, but then we meet him and it's like, wow. And he pulled me into his office and so nicely was just like, hey man, so I got a call from a church and said, you just did terrible in the interview. And, um, and, uh, and he was like, I know that's not you. And he said, what's going on? Talk me through it. And I told him, I said, man, I'm just, I'm just afraid, man. I'm afraid that, um, I'm afraid that I'm never going to get a job. And he said this to me and it changed everything for me. He said, look, man, all the pressure is on God to get you to where he wants you to be. And so if you believe that, then you'll never miss out waiting on God. All the pressure is on God to get you to where he wants you to be. The third and last reason, and the team can come, that we can wait expectantly is because God is with us while we wait. The word of God tells us in the book of Matthew in the first chapter that the prophet declared that Mary would give birth to a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. The thing that they wanted to call Jesus was that God is with us. And that's not by coincidence. They didn't just choose to give him a name that meant God with us. They gave him that name because that's who he is. They gave him that name because that's his character. They gave him that name because that's what was happening to all of humanity. That when Jesus came into the picture, it was ultimately about God saying, I want to be with you forever. And how I do that is through the arrival of my son, Jesus. And so can I ask you this morning, what are you waiting for during this season? What are you longing for during this season? And would you say that you can put your trust and your faith in those three things we talked about this morning, that God works while we wait. Am I waiting 
with an expectation that God is working while I wait? Am I waiting with an expectation that I'm never gonna miss out on anything waiting on God? Am I waiting with an expectation that God is with me while I wait? Emmanuel, God with us. I love that truth. And can I, can I just let us know that um, how you wait can minister to those around you. How you wait can be an example to people of what it means to serve God, what it means to be loved by God, to be known by God. I think in so many ways, how we wait is actually more important than getting the actual thing we're waiting for. And what shapes how we wait is understanding why we wait. Why we wait is because we know ultimately that God is working while we wait. That we don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us as we wait on him. And lastly, that we know that God is with us while we wait. And I don't know about you, but I just want to be where God is. So many times in my life, um, you know, my wife, I'm the dreamer in our family. My wife is the re realist. So I call her my dream killer. And, uh, but that's our relationship. And I know I need her in my life because she grounds me. And she needs me in her life because sometimes I help her fly. And, um, but for me, it's, it's, this waiting thing is not easy for me because I'm already five years down the road and I wanna do everything that I can to just get there. So I need her in my life because she reminds me of these three things that no, like God needs to do something in year one. God needs to do something in year two. God needs to do something in year three. God needs to do something in year four. God needs to do something so that in the, when you get to year five, you're ready. And she reminds me of all three of those things and, um, and so this is, this is as, I'm, as I'm preaching this this morning, I want you to know that this is a hard thing for me. And so uh, this holiday season, I, I gladly welcome it because I slow down. And uh, my wife will tell you, I, I literally slow down. Um, maybe it's because all the food that we eat around this time. Um, but I, it, it does cause me to pause. And I don't want you to just rush through this season without reflecting on what God has done this year, without giving him praise and worship, because maybe this whole year has been a year of waiting and longing for you. Can I encourage you to take a moment at some point this week to just go through each month of the year so far, and I guarantee you that you will see that God has been working while you're waiting, that you haven't missed out on anything while you've been waiting on God this year, and that God has been with you while you've been waiting. Sometimes we don't just, we don't carve out the time to realize that. And, um, and little did I know that ultimately what was in my heart was eventually to be able to pastor a community of people. I thought it was like 10 years down the road. God had different plans. And, uh, but as I look back on even our first year and a half in New York and even the years prior to that, 
of me wanting to, to, to do what I'm doing now. And, and I can look back and say, man, like God was there. God was here. He was working. He was doing this. Even if I didn't realize what it meant at the time, he was doing something. And, um, but it requires us to, to stop, to pause, to reflect, to push the pause button on everything. And so I just want to challenge you and leave you with this this morning to find some sort of space over the next couple of weeks as we head towards, the, towards Christmas and the end of the year. Because I believe right now that for many of us, this whole year has been your waiting. This whole year has been your longing, whatever it may be. I know that many, there's probably so many of you Um, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, that this year was the year that you wanted to get pregnant. And so you're in this waiting and longing that maybe for some of you this year was the year that you thought you would get that job. Or maybe you thought that this year was the year that you thought that that relationship would turn around. Maybe this year was the year that you thought that... um, that something was going to shift. Can I encourage you this morning that I believe with all my heart that God's moving. He's always been moving. He's working. And um, I want to take a moment to just pray for a couple groups of people. And, um, and so with every eye closed this morning, um, Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your presence is here. And um, if you would say that this whole year for me has been a waiting and a longing season, um, I want to pray specifically for you and uh, that you would, that God would just remind you of the moments that he's been there, that he's been working and that you haven't missed out on anything. So if you would say that to you this morning, would you just lift your hand? I just want to know who I'm praying with, who I'm praying for this morning. And, um, and you, can, you can put it down. God, I thank you for every person that said that this whole year has been a waiting and a longing season. And Father, I thank you that um, through every hour, every minute, every day, that you've been working on their behalf, ultimately because you love them and they matter to you. God, I pray, would you give them moments as they take time to reflect over the next couple of weeks? Would you Give them clarity and point out, show them the moments this year where you've been working. Show them, give them a a little glimpse into the behind the scenes of what you're doing in their waiting season. So that it's a reminder for them that maybe they actually haven't missed out on anything so they don't have to fear, they don't have to cave into the pressure and try to make it happen on their own. But they can wait and worship their father instead of worry. And Father, I pray that you would remind them of moments where maybe in that waiting and longing place, they felt utterly alone. I pray would you remind them of the people that you've surrounded them with throughout this year to remind them that you're with them. But you're not just with us in this season, but you go before us. And you're preparing a way. And you remain behind us, protecting us and pushing us 
in the direction that we need to go. And so, Father, we turn our waiting to, to waiting full of hope and great expectation this morning.